Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to a new episode of Leverage Masters Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, sometimes known as Leveragina, and also the co-founder of the new TheLeveragist.com, where we have gifts waiting for you guys. We have a fantastic show lined up for you including my co-host and co-founder in The Leverages, Jack Humphrey. Hello, Jack. Howdy. And how are you this fine day? Great. Tired and sleepy on a launch day. <laughs> it's a lot of work to get something launched. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've got the Leverage Black Book available now for everybody. We've been uh, cranking away on it. It's at uh, at leverageblackbook.com. Everybody can go run, download that, read along with us. We're going to talk about it today and uh, how you can put it to best use. And what is the Leverage Black Book, Jack? Well... Uh, it is the culmination of both of our careers worth of work online. <laughs> Basically, uh, it it occurred to me one day that base, the, the the thread that runs through everything that we do is leverage. We always talk about it. That's uh, you know kind of what I started talking about all the way back in the power linking days, way 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 back, and what you've been talking about from the beginning. Although we've covered just about everything you can imagine from, uh, you know, uh, the business strategy and tactics that everybody should have when doing digital marketing, online or offline marketing, but it always hovers around leverage, right? It's always <laughs> look for the highest point and get there so you can see the lay of the land. And um, my basic premise has always been why build an audience or build a business build an audience around a business from scratch when there are already audiences everywhere in every niche. There's an audience in your niche, I guarantee it, that's already been painstakingly built and bought and uh, you know, and cultivated for quite a long time. That's all the things that are before you right now. If you were starting out a business right now or you're at an intermediate stage and you have a goal of Maybe in 12 months, having a pretty big goal in your business satisfied, um, you might want to listen up because we have some ways to get you there faster. One of our uh, experts who is in the book, Scott Manning, who we call a master leveragist, uh, likes to sit down with a 12-month plan and cross out months and replace it with weeks. And, of course, you can't do 12 months' worth of work. That's the whole point. You can't do 12 months of work in 12 weeks. So you have to do something else. The only other option available to you in that scenario is leverage. 
So let's say you have to uh, come up with an audience. You figure I need to get 20,000 downloads of something uh, to get people in my funnel. And I need 20,000 because I figure I can convert a certain percentage of those to sales later of something, your product or service, consulting, something like that. So let's say you need 20,000 opt-ins. You're going to need a pretty big audience to get 20,000 people, uh, which is only a percentage of your whole audience, to download. Now if you were to go set out and build all of that on your own, you'd be spending the very first part of your business building up to something that will eventually lead to money. A leveragist would go looking for an audience or several audiences daisy chained together that already exist to get in front of those. Forget about building your list right now and your social right now and all of that stuff because it will come later. It will come after you get in front of those audiences. And essentially, it takes away a huge, huge, huge amount of work that everybody plans. <laughs> Every novice and intermediate person plans. I'm going to have to do all this work to build up this audience, and then I'll mail them about this opt-in, and then I'll have my 20,000 opt-ins, which will give me a percentage of uh, sales that I need for my business to hit its goals. And so we place this huge, huge, huge obstacle in front of us before we ever get to the point of making sales. And a lot of people would prefer to make sales right away if they could. And so that's how you wipe out 12 months worth of work in 12 weeks. How can I get rid of that? Go to audiences that already exist. Look up and go to the highest point in your market. Somebody has uh, that position. Somebody has that audience's attention that you need. They might have 150,000 people on their list. They'll have, a, they'll have um, you know, tons and tons of people following them on social. And you go to them and you make friends with them. Not, your, not direct to market. You make friends with the thought leaders and authorities in your market. And in the leverage black book are all the strategies and how you would do that. So it kind of just replaces all of that work with uh, leverage, really, really hardcore leverage. And notice I didn't say anything about outsourcing or the light duty stuff that most people uh, talk about when they think leverage. It's not that. Outsourcing is fine. VAs are fine. Automation is fine. But that's not really a multi-dimensional leverage situation. The Leverage Black Book talks about the multi-dimensional stuff, the really heavy lifting leverage. That's awesome. And again, theleverageblackbook.com or just leverageblackbook.com? Leverageblackbook.com. Gotcha. Which will take you to the leveragists. And we got a the in that one. So that's the other thing that we started is the leveragists. And uh, we wanted to do that because we have other things that uh, we're working with, like the Leverage Masterclass, which everybody will have an opportunity to grab for a very, very steep discount after they've opted in to get the Black Book to join the community, to join the discussion. Um, somebody said something really interesting. I think it was Joe Polish uh, about um, nobody's ever made it to the Super Bowl or the World Series by reading a book about baseball. Now you can have the finest book about baseball in the world, and it can teach you every single thing on paper of what it takes 
to become a professional ball player that eventually makes it to the World Series. But nobody's ever actually done that by reading a book alone. Every single person who's ever made it to the World Series has had a coach, has had a mentor. <laughs> and in, in sports, to stick with the metaphor, they've had a coach. And, uh, and that's what we offer as a guide to uh, – or uh, the, the, the best addition to the Black Book is our Leverage Master Class, which is a class, yes, but it's also getting everybody into our private Facebook group for the leveragists and – uh, so that you can practice this stuff on the field. You need to have a field of play. You need to be able to talk to other people, other players, and be able to um, bounce off ideas. And you also just need connections. You know, the leverage starts uh, with people who already understand leverage. So it's easier to go and get somebody to do some leverage plays who understands what leverage is and how to use it than it is to go and have to teach somebody why you're talking to them about this weird thing called leverage, like a joint venture or an integration marketing play or something like that. If you've got to teach them what it is, it's going to take a little longer. It doesn't mean it's not you know, worth, worthy, but you know, it's easier to go to the people who are already primed and ready for leverage. The best people in the world to leverage with are the people who've read the Leverage Black Book. And to meet the people who've read the Leverage Black Book, you want to be in the Leverages group on Facebook and be in the Leverage Masterclass. So, that's what follows the opt-in for the black book. It's not absolutely necessary. You can read the book and check it out um, and see for yourself if it's something that you want to be a part of. Um, I'm sure you will <laughs> because the alternative is going back to your 12-month plan, and uh, usually 12-month plans don't end up right on the dot at the month 12, day 30. They go over because you're already conditioned to think everything must be hard, everything must take a lot of work, and I haven't earned anything unless I've sweat and bled uh, to, earn, to get it. And, of course, the leveragist doesn't think that way. Leveragists think completely the opposite. We work hard. I just got done working really hard, and so did Gina um, getting the book together. You would think that we were working really hard, but we were pretty much enjoying ourselves. A lot of our work, from the outsider's perspective, looks like work. But when you're in your zone and you're doing what you were put here on earth to do, it doesn't feel like work, and I'm sure everybody listening has experienced something like that before. Other people thinking that, you, gosh, you work really hard, and then you're like, no, I'm just having fun. This is part of my life. This isn't just something I do and then clock out and then go with the money that I've made, go do fun stuff. It's part of the fun stuff that I do in life. And so we call that a lifestyle business. When you really have that dialed in and your business and your life are sometimes indiscernible from each other, um, you probably have a lifestyle business where you could travel anywhere you want and you're still making money. You don't have to stay uh, in one place and work all the time. In fact, there's a lot of work work that gets taken out of a leveragist's life. Um, and it's not just replaced with VAs. It's replaced with leverage, period, so that you don't even have to hire a VA to do the work. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about eliminating the factor of work in the first place. There's a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of um, crazy stuff that we have built into our businesses, overlapping things that we don't actually need. They serve more as distractions and more as busy work, and they serve the function of avoiding success. You know, working on your logo for the 15th time is kind of avoiding success, right? <laughs> or doing any kind of 
repetitive, redundant work that builds your business one customer at a time instead of a group of customers all coming in at the same time because you were just on a podcast in front of your ideal audience getting exposure all at once that you could never get in the first months or even in the first year or two of your business by yourself using someone else's audience that they've already spent maybe one or two years building to a massive size, getting them all hot and frothy and, and, uh, and ready for you to come on their show one day and blow people's minds and have them all coming to uh, your funnel to learn more about you, come to your, your page. So that's what we're talking about. Just stuff like that. Nothing very important. <laughs> it's everything, right? It really is. I mean, you and I eat, sleep, breathe leverage in all that we do. I mean, literally, there is no part of life where I'm not constantly using leverage. I just think in leverage, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and I think we get more in tune to that when either you've reached a certain age or you are um, born impatient with the way that the world is set up. You know, and one of the things that I talk about in the book is the, the, the world we live in right now is just a complete fabrication, utter complete fabrication. You could probably convince yourself over many, many years of living on this earth that the economy is real, that the way you do business is real. It's a thing. It's the only way to do it because that's the only way it's ever been done or taught. Or, You, know, you go to college. You get an MBA. They tell you what the rules are, and then you're expected just to follow them. And then you're presented with a piece of paper that says, I know how to follow rules. I know how to follow these false constructs <laughs> or these, these human constructs, and I will play by these rules. You can guarantee that because I have this MBA piece of paper that proves I know the rules. Leverages hate rules. We actually like them. We, we understand them, and we actually understand the rules a lot better than most people because we're looking for ways to get around them. Since it's a human invention, business, you know, uh, products, accounting, finance, um, investing, the housing market, everything is just an invention. We all collectively sort of got together and said, this is how we ought to buy and sell houses. This is how we ought to run the economy. Here's how we ought to do this. Now, it's in all the textbooks and all the schools. If you go into business for yourself and teach yourself or go to school for it, you learn the same rules eventually, and then you're expected to follow them. If you don't question them, then you're doing stuff like say you start a business and you have a book and you have some consulting or coaching that you want to sell to people. And with the rules that you've learned in life through school, through uh, working, maybe you had your, your father or mother had a business or whatever, you learned a lot about it there, you're going to play by the rules that you've learned and you're not probably going to question them. And you probably feel pretty much like a maverick for even becoming entrepreneurial and not just going and getting a job or leaving the job that you just had. You're feeling pretty you know, cutting edge right there. But the first thing that most people do when they get in, you, know, you're, you can wake up whenever you want. You're your own boss. You're doing your own thing. Nobody can tell you what to do. The first thing most people do is start doing exactly what they were taught. 
in business, and they start turning themselves into the thing that they just fled from. If you left corporate America, chances are there's a lot of corporate America still in your personal business that you started that you're the boss of and you called all the shots just because it's natural, right? And, and if you don't know that there's another way, then that's the way you do it. The other problem is the Internet itself is a problem. <laughs> the way the Internet runs is, is by a set of rules. And there are rules that are largely dictated by giant places like Facebook and Google, Google in particular. Google says, and it changes its mind every single week, but right now it says you need a certain kind of content, you need to produce enough content that you're current, that the date of your last post was recent enough, that you're engaging people, and that you're out on social all the time showing engagement signals, that you're on your blog all the time showing really good content targeted to your audience, and you're working constantly. We call this content marketing. You're working constantly to fulfill what? Your goal as a business or Google's goals in rewarding you with search engine rankings? That's a really important distinction because they're two entirely different things. If you get into the business of just satisfying Google, which eventually does if you get your site ranked and you get some keyword rankings and people start coming and they're targeted, that does lead to people opting in and joining things and buying things, sure. But you had to do all that stuff first in order to get there. When all you really wanted to do when you started your business in the first place was you know, excite a crowd around a topic or some solution that you could bring to the world, either in a physical product or a digital product or coaching, consulting, whatever, those are the things you thought of. Those are the things, and those are only the things that you thought of when you started your business. You didn't think, well, how am I going to make Google happy? How am I going to make Facebook happy? How am I going to get all of the learning done that it takes to do SEO, to do content properly. I wasn't a very good writer when I started. I taught myself over 12 months to do that. I taught myself how to do um, you know, uh, images until I was making enough that I could pay somebody to do images. I, I taught myself how to do everything before I was making enough to have a virtual assistant, a graphic designer, or any of that stuff. All of that stuff is what takes all that time in the beginning. That doesn't do anything to actually get you new customers. All it does is set you up for business because the rules. Remember the rules? <laughs> you have to have a website. You have to have this. You have to have that. And so everybody starts out with GoDaddy. They go get a domain. They go get hosting. They go learn that WordPress is probably how they ought to do it. So they go learn to set up WordPress or pay somebody to set it up, design their logo, do all this stuff, none of which, none of which, has gotten them one new customer, not one new thing. Under the impression, under the guise that if I don't have these things, I, I'm not going to get customers. I'm never going to get customers if I don't have these things. And in some cases, you know, that's kind of true. But Gina, haven't we told people at, on our hug seats <laughs> in certain situations that they should not have a website? You should not even build one. We've given people that advice before. Absolutely. That's leverage, isn't it? Yeah. We found I mean, so leverage much leverage in her business. Ab Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was going to say we, we found so much leverage about. in that particular person's business that that there would be too much leverage if she also had a website. But she was going to have she too many customers She wouldn't have been able to handle in. the volume. No way, no yeah. how could she have handled the volume. It was a service-oriented business, and in some service-oriented businesses, you just can't afford to have too much business, as strange as that might sound. Yeah. And and it's true because we're also dealing with lifestyle. So one of the things we talk about in the book is what is a lifestyle business, really truly, not the the cliche stuff, you know, with a picture of somebody on on the beach with a laptop and all that junk. What does really truly a lifestyle business look like? And part of the exercise we take everyone through is this isn't a book, and we do all of our training this way too. This isn't training or this isn't a book about just business stuff like everybody else does without fail. Everybody else talks about what you came there to talk about. One of the things Gina is famous for saying is you've got to give people what they want in order to give people ultimately what they need, and that is we created the Gleverage Black Book so that people could go, oh yeah, I want to be able to do what in 12 months, what I could do in 12 weeks, what I could do in 12 months before, and all those things. And you guys do that too in your own marketing. You tell people the really sexy stuff, because not just because it's sexy, but because it's the only context in which people understand their problem in your market. It's on the most remedial level that people understand their problem. You got to either meet them there, so you're talking the same language, or your copy is going to fall on deaf ears. They're just not going to understand what you're talking about. And if they incorrectly perceive what they need to be associated with pain or suffering or work or, or you know, it's complicated and they think, they assume that it's going to be too hard, then you've also lost. You've lost the game because they're just going to run away. They're not going to realize through your training that you do or your product or your service that what, they're, what you're actually talking about is something that's far, far easier than anything that they're doing right now. But so you get into that little cycle, and I, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about, Gina? Oh, you're asking tough <laughs> questions today, Jack. I totally went off on a leverage tangent. Leveragent. Don't worry. Oh, about well, it. I guess that's where that'll end. That's why it sucks to not have a live audience so I can ask them because they always help me out there. Where do you exactly. want to go from here? Well, let's give them some specifics. So in the Leverage Black Book, one of the things we talk about is what we're calling Leverage X. Let's talk about some of those Leverage X and why did we even put them in the book? Well, mainly for example, so that people understood what some of this stuff we're talking about in the Black Book looks like in the real world. And to prove the fact that whether people call themselves leverages, which I don't know if anybody does because I think we kind of made that up, um, but <laughs> uh, they're using it. They're, you know, And it goes from the most remedial level, like driving a car to work instead of walking, but um, on, a, on a more advanced level, there are companies out there that really, really are run by people who understand leverage, and we wanted to focus on those. So we had leveragettes from you know, that just focus in, they're like case studies, and they just focus in on different companies and individuals. Like we put Joe Polish in there, and I don't think you could really end up writing a good book about leverage without putting someone like him in there. And uh, because he's a master leveragist, 
And um, places like the Wellness Universe and uh, Hay House and all the different places, what they're using, how they're using leverage, and how it really looks in their world. So that it really sums up what, you know, it ties it all nicely in a bow. We talk about a certain kind of leverage like integration marketing or authority leverage or something like that, and we put a leverage in there uh, to kind of tie that bow and say, here's what that looks like in the real world which builds confidence in the reader that we know what we're talking about and that it's actually real and it's not just something we made up, but it also kind of solidifies how it might then look in your business as you're reading it. All right, so this is what Jack and Gina are saying. This is what it looks like in the real world. And you can kind of triangulate how that might be uh, bent, and, uh, bent to your will and put into your world and how you can benefit from that. Because we really do want people to come out of this just from the book itself with the ability to look at their calendar and lop off months and months of time that they had already planned where it's going to take to the next big benchmark goal in their business. Because really everything that you have, everything that you need is laying all around you in order to succeed at what you want to do. And it's not just you that should be thinking it's just me getting it. If it's up to me or if it's to be, it's up to me kind of thing. It's not. There's a lot of people that can help you. There's a lot of people who would want to help you if they knew what you were up to, if you had the courage to go up to them and say, I'm doing this thing. A lot of people sometimes will say, I don't have enough something to deserve to go talk to somebody like Gina. I've not been in the business long enough to even, she won't even pay attention to me. She only talks to a certain level of people. I'm going to need to build up to that, and I'm going to blog for six months and get some sales or whatever really the hard way, and then I will have earned the right to go talk to somebody that's big in my market. And that's exactly, of course, the wrong way to do it. And we give a lot of examples in the book of how people um, still have built up their companies over years, but they're talking in terms of millions instead of thousands. And it's not to say that you're going to leverage your way to your ultimate goal for your business and then quit. You're going to be having so much fun that you're never going to want to stop because we really lay down the law about what you do for your business should be something that you love and whether you got paid for it or not. And if money wasn't an issue, you'd still be doing something very close to it, if not that exact thing. So the people that we feature sometimes have been in business for quite a long time, but they've built up so much and they'd only be where they are today if they understood leverage, and which is precisely why we put them in the, in the book as leveragettes. Love it. And of all the different kinds of leverage that we talk about in the Leverage Black Book, which is your favorite? Um, I go between them <laughs> quite a bit. I, I'm actually really into, because of I try to think about the gleam in the eye of the reader as they're going through it. And I think one of the big gleamy ones is going to be, um, I don't know why it just popped into my head, but story leverage and how to not be afraid to apply leverage in your business. And what I talk about in that chapter isn't just the story leverage when we interviewed David Bullock and, and he gave us all of his um, things on story leverage, which is one thing, but the other is who are people? Who are people? So if, if you wanted to go to the Huffington Post, back when Ariana was actually in the office and working there and all of that stuff, and you really needed her 
to put her virtual arm around your virtual shoulders and say, you've got to listen to this person right in front of her stage of millions on her blog, pretending like she's the blogger, which now it's grown into this giant media empire, and you know, I don't even know where she is in that, any of that anymore. Um, but at one point, you know, that was her baby, and she needed it to succeed, and she had a lot of needs in order to get it, and people came and fulfilled them. They wrote, wrote for free, and they did all this stuff, and they got in. And a lot of other people were on the outside looking at that going, I wonder what they have that I don't. And the answer is absolutely nothing. They just had the gumption to stumble their way in the front door and say, I want to do anything. I want to help you. I found a way to help you. Here it is. Blah, blah, blah. And, and they, they got in there. And, and uh, you'll remember in that situation in your niche, you did not do that. You were on the outside looking at somebody going, how did they get in there? How did they get mentioned by pro blogger? Or how did they get mentioned by this big self-help guru? Or how did they – well, the answer for how all of that happens is in the black book. And the first thing is to not be afraid, to, not think, to think of people in the right context. And I go through a whole metaphor with bears, <laughs> black bears and grizzly bears and charismatic mega personas which is to coin a phrase from the father of conservation biology, Dr. Michael Soulet, who I had the privilege of working with directly in, in the 90s, um, who called things like grizzlies and the really top-down big predators in the wild charismatic megafauna. And what he meant by that is that Sierra Club would be much smarter putting a grizzly bear or something very charismatic and, and recognizable on their fundraising letter rather than maybe a platypus or a cowbird, something that's just not really cute or cuddly or fluffy or exciting or whatever it might be. So we used charismatic megafauna to raise money for the nonprofits that we worked with, for the projects that we were working with, because we knew that's what people could identify with, that they loved, that it was either had a cuddly factor or a ferocious factor or some recognizable thing. Well, people in your industry who are really big, I call them charismatic mega personas, because sometimes um, they can seem unapproachable. Sometimes they want to seem unapproachable because they're approached so much that they only want people talking to them who can get through that uh, facade to get to them. And, um, and it works really well because we're all scared off. We all have come up through an education system and a society that tells us all the time, you belong here, you don't belong here. You get into this party, but you're not a VIP. You go here, but this is way too important for you over here. You are just not the right class. You haven't paid enough dues. You, whatever it might be, we've come up through an entire system that's completely made that way. It's almost in every single culture in the world. You'd have to go to some weird place in the Amazon to find some tribe that doesn't have this kind of a system <laughs> because it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And so then you're taught, I can't go up to this person. They're a celebrity in my niche. They're really big. They're, I'm going to pay my dues. And in Story Leverage, we teach you how to see people for who they really are. And the first thing, it kind of goes back to that, the, that, the funny little thing that everybody always says about speaking. Picture everybody in their underwear. Only it takes it a lot further than that. And, but we do undress everybody. We take off their egos. We take, we take off their medals and their... Peabody's and their awards and their everything else, and we just dress them down to what they really are, which is another human being born alone, 
<laughs> in this world and, and uh, making their way just like you, just maybe with some different zeros behind the uh, numbers in the bank account, but that's in, in some awards and some other things, but everybody is the same and everybody has needs. And a leveragist is always going around trying to figure out how to satisfy the needs of people that the leveragist wants people uh, to do things for. So if I want if I want to get on some big stage, I'm going to have to eventually talk to somebody who could be scary to talk to. And I think this is probably one of – well, Gina, you can say, because for years and years and years, you've been trying to teach people how to do joint ventures. And and only a percentage of those people have been super successful, as with, is true with everything. Um, and And the ones who weren't, I would say, and maybe you can clarify it a little bit, but I would say – the biggest reason that a lot of people don't approach people for joint ventures and use excuses like it's an old boys club or whatever, it's really because they're scared. They don't want to, they're scared to go talk to somebody they think is too important for them to talk to or to talk to them. Is that true? That's exactly right. In fact, when I teach joint ventures, it's the funniest thing, Jack. I can always tell who's done a JV before and who hasn't. Because when they haven't yet done a JV ever, you start talking about JVs, which they claim they really want to know about, and it quickly looks like the deer in the headlight syndrome. Their eyes glaze over, they really stop hearing you, and all they can think about is, but I'm too small, they don't want anything that I have to offer when in fact that is so far from the truth. I can remember back to the early 2000s when I had decided I wanted to become a JV broker. And I knew nobody in any industry that I could actually succeed as a JV broker with. So I sat down and thought about my plan. How am I going to build the relationships that I need in order to succeed as a JV broker. And it was really pretty darned easy, if you ask me. I put a plan together to attend just four events. My goal was to make meaningful connections with 25 people at each of those four events. That would give me 100 people. That should be more than enough to get started as a JV broker. So I went out and did some research on who was going to attend each of these four events, found the 25 people that weren't the biggest people in the room, but they weren't the smallest people in the room either. And I did my homework thoroughly and really studied each of them looking for what was it that I could do to really serve these people with absolutely no expectations attached to getting something in return. I just wanted to help these people because I knew that the minute they really felt like I had done something helpful to them, that the law of reciprocity would kick in and they would be so grateful they'd have to do something for me in return. And that's exactly what I did. For a lot of them, I went out and did favors for them in advance of meeting them at the event. So it would give me something to talk about when I met them face-to-face. And when I did meet them face-to-face, and they went, wait a minute, aren't you the one that did fill in the blank with what I did? 
And it could be something really small. For some of them, I went out and wrote some articles and syndicated them out on the Internet, and I did it without an affiliate link. I really did it to help them, not to make money from it, and it blew people away. Anybody just getting started could do something that simple, couldn't they, Jack? Yeah. I was uh, thinking, you know, while you were saying that, where where did I figure this all out? Where did I figure out this be too scared of people and or not have, you know, and your strategy is is exactly the kind of thing that we do to dress people down that we're afraid of, that we're, we don't feel worthy of talking to. They're never going to give us the time of day. Go prepared, like uh, Joe Polish always, he, he's like, if anybody hooks me up with anything or I want to get hooked up with something, I do something, I bring something to the table first. And it might sound like, you know, somebody like him, if you've ever heard his podcast or you've met him in person, you know he's a pretty confident dude. I mean, and then you could easily assume, well, he's so confident, he probably just walks up to people and somehow magically arranges a JV through his pure confidence. And I'm not confident, so I can't do that. Well, if you're not confident, <laughs> and that's not how he did it. He just He's confident because he's got a big track record, and now he's seen how all of this stuff works. He understands leverage. And once you do, the mystery is gone. It's like learning a magic trick. You can perform it all day long, but you never again be in awe of it like a child with big beaming eyes looking and seeing a lady get sawn in half and being maybe a little scared at that moment because they think magic is real, You'll never again look at it that way. And from that point forward, it is a tool that you can use at your will, at your desire, anytime you want to apply leverage in any situation. And Gina just gave you some tools for that. I learned it when John Reese, who had just had the first million-dollar day on the Internet in the information marketing space, and uh, mail, uh, in 24 hours got over a million dollars in sales, and he was pretty big before that. He got huge after that. He became a mythical creature on the Internet that, you know, a lot of people were like, oh. And I knew him before that. And then he got really big, and it was harder to get him to pick up the phone because he was just way, way busy. And I got a little nervous when I was launching the Authority Black Book way back in 2007 about approaching people like him. And the universe taught me a huge lesson. The universe just said, all right, you wimp. He's just John Reese. You know who he is. He's just a regular old person. He makes it very clear that he puts his pants on with his legs first and all that stuff, and yet you're still too scared. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to arrange it for John to be so inspired by your service to the industry, which is what the Authority Black Book was. It was, it was a free guide that everybody else was trying to sell from 30 to 197 bucks. They're trying to sell on how to do social media, which was just getting big at the time. And marketers didn't know anything about it, and it was just starting. Facebook was just letting people in uh, from the public to Facebook and all of that. So uh, he was moved by it. He read it, which I would have never assumed because I figured I was already in that he's too big, I'm too small stage. Uh, we'd shaken hands, and he would considered me a friend that he would pick up the phone for any time, but I got myself into a state, even in that situation, even knowing that, I'm not going to bug John. He's too busy. He saw it, and there was an affiliate program for it. It was a giant affiliate launch, and we had our mid-level you know, affiliates all mailing, and bloggers were talking about it all over the Internet. Ended up getting over 50,000 downloads of that book. 
one of the reasons is John looked at it and mailed for it and never even contacted me to get an affiliate link or anything else. He was so moved by it because thinking like a leveragist, and this is exactly how we created the Leverage Black Book in the same way, is just give people something of real true value that they'll turn around and go, why didn't I have to pay for that? Why was there no buy link for that? Because that should have been a paid product. That was better than most of the paid products that I've gotten in the last several months or years. What's the deal? And I think it took him the same way. And the universe said, let me show you how to do leverage and how to talk to people and dress people down and not be worried about this stuff and just go for it from now on. I'm going to have John Reese mail and without an affiliate link or anything. He never contacted me until afterwards. I'm like, dude, thank you so much for mailing because it was unheard of back then. It pretty much is today. Nobody mails without an affiliate link, right? Everybody's got this little give and take thing. Well, I'll mail for you, but I want an affiliate link and I want a bigger commission than anybody else. And I mean, affiliate and JV links are just embedded in our psyche when it's come time for promotion. Back then, it was just as bad, if not worse, and nobody would have ever expected a big dog to just pick something up and mail for it, mainly because he's got a whole bunch of people hounding him to get in front of his list. All of his other JV partners that helped him reach his million-dollar day all needed to still be paid back by him mailing out. And in the middle of all of that, he mailed for no, no reason that I could tell other than he really liked it and he wanted to do me a favor, and he mailed for the Black Book. It was an exclusive mail. It wasn't a PS or an aside or anything. It was crazy. And from that day forward, I knew never to be worried about approaching people. That you have to be able to do that. And it's really the only, the only hurdle to becoming a real true leveragist that there is. Everything else is absolutely easy and straightforward. But what I wanted to, why I wanted to put that in the book was so that people wouldn't give themselves that excuse to let them know I'm watching you and I'm saying right here and now that we're going to address this issue because I can see it. I can see you working your little gears in the back of your mind going, well, I can't do this because this is too hard. Well, anybody who's ever gotten anywhere ever in the history of the world has gotten over this because every single successful person on the planet has used leverage and has gotten people uh, by doing them favors, you know, it's not selling people. It's not asking for handouts. It's like Gina talked about, doing them, finding something that they really need, want, desire, and then doing something to move them closer to that goal or outright giving it to them. And when you do that, you don't, because I don't like selling either. Gina doesn't like selling. We don't like going and, and making presentations and pitches and all that kind of stuff. We find it to be very fake. It's just not in our personalities to do it that way. So whether you call it leverage or not, we had to find a way to get what we wanted to get in front of the stages or on the stages in front of the people that we needed to be in front of to sell our stuff, um, to become known, to get attention, to get traffic uh, that didn't involve selling because we just can't physically do it. We're just horrible at it. Unless anybody think that we, that's not the case, let me assure you it is. We hate selling, and most people do. And the people that we serve in the world are the people who hate selling as well, normal, average people. Well, there's only so many people who can work at a car lot and sell cars. And everybody else who's even doing the most menial sales stuff, not really hard sales or anything, think that all sales is like selling cars. And that's who we serve. So we certainly wouldn't be doing anybody any service if we 
Um, we're teaching people to go out and be hardcore salespeople or networkers, hardcore networkers that just convince people and have a lot of exude confidence and, and all of that. None of this involves any of that. If you do what Gina just said, just always bring something to the table. Be of value. Be of service to people. And be of service first to the people who can get you what you want, not first to your customers and clients. Because if you try to help them, it's the same thing as when you're on the airplane and they tell you to put the mask on yourself before you put the mask on your own child, which is shocking to hear for the first time. What are you, what? That's my child. I would do anything. I would die for, you know. <laughs> and then you realize, wait a minute, that does make a hell of a lot of sense, and now everybody who's ever flown, that instruction goes by without anybody even blinking. This is the same thing. So it's really quite interesting because, there's, because you could show up without a website, you could just have a link to PayPal. You could have a group on Facebook and no website and show up on a big podcast tomorrow with what you know and the value that you can bring to the world, and you can get the results that it would have taken you building your own audience and everything a year to get in one fell swoop on that one show or a series of daisy chain shows. Um, you know, we have a brand, you know, Directions University, um, that's really well established, and we have a list, and we have all these things. But when it comes to the leverages, and this, you know, Traffic Masters is even being rebranded into Leverage Masters, in a sense we're starting over. And what we aim to do is demonstrate how all of this stuff is done by doing it. And the launch of the Black Book and Leverage Master Class and Elite Leverage Mastermind, all of the stuff that's coming up, we're going to use every single thing that's in this book. We're not going to use anything that's outside of that book so that we can demonstrate that this works. And the closest that Gina and I can get to completely starting over is this. We can't possibly, or nor would we want to, you know, erase our memories and all of our friendships and connections or anything else. But barring that, um, we're going to be using the same stuff that we're teaching everybody else to use. And we're going to be going out to a lot of new people. This won't get as big as we want it to get, if we only rely on, the people, rely on the people that we're connected to now, we will have to also go out and talk to scary new people who, who other people would think, oh, God, you're too big to talk to. How are you reaching out to me? You're not worthy. Do not talk to us. And to go through the gatekeepers, we talk about how to not even talk to gatekeepers. And we're going to be doing every single thing in the book that you guys would be doing um, as close as possible. Um, you know, we might have a friend mail, but... Uh, that's not really a determining factor of whether or not the leverage black book tactics work or not or are legitimate or not. Um, that's just leverage. So I think that's really going to be exciting. You guys will be able to follow us on here on Leverage Masters. We'll talk about it uh, with the guests that we have for the rest of 2016 and beyond. And it's going to be really interesting and cool to just watch it roll out and apply any of the stuff that you're learning and listening to to your business as well, and just watch them work for you because they'll work everywhere. Leverage is a universal thing, and uh, the way the strategy that we use it can be applied to absolutely every situation in any niche, and it can be applied to life, not just business. And let me just add that we've already started doing that in the last couple of weeks. And oh my gosh, just little things like I put one little post up. I use a tool called friendsplus.me, so I put the post up on Google+, 
it automatically shared it to Facebook on both my profile and my page, as well as to LinkedIn. A couple days later, I get a message from a publicist on LinkedIn who's interested in helping us to get guests for the new Leverage Masters show. Well, that seemed pretty interesting to me. We definitely want some good guests, but we're also looking for both radio shows, podcasts, and webinars that Jack and I can be on. So I simply responded to her and said, yeah, we'd love some guests, but could you also get us some places to go out to as well? Well, this turned into we've got a call scheduled with her next week. She's taking us on as a client. Just leverage. All I did was put one post up on Google+. It shows up in all these other places, and we attract the publicist. The same exact post has also gotten us two different appearances in podcasts, big podcasts, the GKIC podcast, as well as the uh, Heidi Richards Mooney podcast called Entrepreneurs, um, which is a show for women entrepreneurs that I was in last week talking about the leveragists and the leverage black book. That's a great example of the kind of leverage we're talking about, isn't it, Jack? Yeah. And here's a great big giant fat secret, if anybody wants to know. <laughs> You gotta have something to talk about, and you gotta have energy about around what you're excited about, what you're talking about. And the reason is that people can sense something. So there's little telltale signs when you're a podcaster that a guest would be a really good, energized, engaging guest on your show. And without fail, it's when they're launching a book or a new product or something that you know they're really excited about. And so if you are a podcaster, that's the person you want. You don't want somebody who has been doing the same thing for years and years and years, and they're really used to it, and a lot of the market has already heard the thing. You know, um, you know Richard Branson's best interviews are when he's got something new, like he's put something up into space that wasn't, and nobody thought would ever happen, or you know, something new is going on. That's when everybody wants to talk to Richard the most. Now, it's never a bad idea to get Richard Branson on in the meantime because he's always exciting. He's a billionaire. He's had a lot of successes, and he can talk about a lot of stuff and some things we don't get tired of hearing. We like, we like people, and we want to hear their story again and again. But when they've got something new, people who are thought leaders know intrinsic. They, they just sense that it would be really good to have that person on the show because they got something exciting and new to talk about. And every guest, you know, in the last couple of shows has been kind of talking about the same kind of stuff, and I need new blood, new energy. That is the essence of what the Internet is and, and the new media is. It's, you know, people uh, go around and they do talks, and sometimes they're doing talks and they haven't done a new book, they haven't done a new thing, and they're just, you know, the old guard. And that's who people will get on their podcast when they don't have anybody else to schedule for that time. And they see somebody like you who starts to apply leverage. You're really excited about what you're doing. You're getting ready to launch something. You're getting ready. Something new about your business is happening, whether you're launching anything or not. They can sense that energy, and that's precisely what happened when Gina put that post out. People were like, ooh, she's got something new to talk about. She's got something coming up, and I want to be one of the first people to interview her about that thing. 
And now they're lining up. But it does, it's not because we had a huge hit list. We have a hit list. We have people we want to go after and shows we want to be on for sure. But it wasn't because of that or anything else because we were still putting the book together and all of the other infrastructure for the launch. We couldn't possibly simultaneously be organizing a giant book tour at the same time. But as leveragists, we know that the book tour organizes itself from the energy that you have around it. It's like, hey, somebody's got something really cool and new to say. I want to have them on my show because energy and passion are the number one things that people from any kind of a web show, podcast, whatever, want to have in their midst because it makes their show more exciting. It keeps their audience more engaged. And you, as the energetic person, expert, whatever, are helping them keep relations with their audience at the peak level that they'd like to have. And you might not have ever thought about it that way before, but that's how crucial a really good guest is on a podcast. That's, that's what it does for the podcaster, and it's extremely important. So it's, it's situational awareness. It's, it's knowing the value you bring to the world, but the, the effect that you have on the world, you're part of the world that your industry, your niche, whatever you want to call it, that it has on other people's businesses has on other people's shows. Has, and you could need to be aware of that, not get cocky or, or have that apply to your ego in any way whatsoever, but just be aware that you, of, of the total package of things that you bring to somebody when you're getting ready to do a show or you're announcing to the world that you've got this new thing. The reason that people are responding, you need to know all the reasons. It's not, you know, wow, that was totally lucky. Luck will have absolutely nothing to do with anything you do as a leveragist. You create your own luck. Luck doesn't fall in your lap. You make luck out of your own self, <laughs> out of your own sphere of influence. And these are the things that happen. So just a simple message that went out to all of Gina's social profiles indicated an awful lot of things. Gina didn't even tell you what she really wrote in that message, but it, you know, it wasn't a book. It was just a little update. And in that update had all the information I just talked about for the people who felt they needed to respond. You need to be on my podcast then. And this is how leverages get people to come to them, which is not selling at all. It's ultra not selling, instead of us having to go to them and beg to be on their show or somehow appear worthy to be on their show. It's how we do it all. And so that's how easy it can be. And it's just going to roll out. Our book tour for the rest of this year is just going to roll itself out. We're going to go from one to the other. As soon as we show up on somebody's podcast uh, talking about this, all the other podcasters who listen to that podcast, they listen to each other, are going to go, we need them on our show. And they're going to line up one by one by one by one. They, they need to know that we have enough to talk about that we're not doing the same show that we just did, and they'll find that out on that show because I've got enough talk. <laughs> our topic is so broad, and we can talk about it in so many different ways that we could be talking about this just like we have for the past 10 years, for the next 10 years. Then now we're just labeling it what it is and really focusing it in on the fact that that's really what we are. That's what we do. That's what we teach. We're leveragists. Absolutely. That's why so many people at BU call me Leveragina. Yeah. I had to change your name from the Oracle to Leveragina. I used to call you the Oracle all the time. Yeah. But, you know, I think it was really helpful to just hone in on what was the most important thing. Because sometimes I don't think, unless we reminded clients and students uh, 
that the thread that runs through every single thing we teach about business, I mean, you and I, between us, can teach everything. We can literally, we can teach design. We can teach technical stuff on WordPress and um, how-to stuff, and we teach a lot of why stuff. And, and so it can probably be confusing depending on how you're looking at what we do, what page you're on, what you're reading at the time, what it is we specialize in, because we can, we can talk about a lot of stuff, and we do. But the thing that runs through it all is leverage. Nothing that we, we're not, I'm not interested in talking about graphics unless I can squeeze in some kind of leverage, even graphics, even a logo. I'll figure out a way we can talk about leverage. How do we get that graphic done without having to spend $1,500? Or how can we you know, incorporate something in that graphic that will appeal to a big thought leader later down the road that you're going to want to get in front of their audience or how, you know, and it's on and on. And Gina, you're exactly the same way. We just, we do it the same. And it's fun. And why not call it what it is? Finally. <laughs> you know, Jack, can you believe we only have 90 seconds left? Yes, I can. I sensed it. My spidey so remind everybody of where they can get the Leverage Black Book and join us as a leveragist themselves. Leverageblackbook.com. Go there first, and you'll see a link once you get your book. Uh, immediately come check us out at Leverage Black Book on Facebook. Uh, we have a community set up on Facebook for all the readers. You can come and get feedback. You can ask questions. You can ask why I spell things wrong or did I really mean to say that, or did Gina really mean that, or <laughs> but anything. So this really only this really only makes sense when you get out of the book, off the page, and into the real world. That's the final test. So that's what you want to do is get to the leverageblackbook.com, leverageblackbook.com, get the book, then come join us on Facebook, and we'll take it from there. Very very true, and we will be back next week, same time, same place for another episode of Leverage Masters. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Hope you enjoy Leverage as much as Jack and I do. Thanks, Jack. Thanks. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.